You are listening to the voice of Ahlus Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Yomul Jum'ah is with us once again. Alhamdulillah. You at seven o'clock. It's a bit late to remind you. One hundred durud after um, after Maghrib. Seventy of your needs in the dunya, thirty of your needs in the akhirah will be fulfilled. This is the promise from Nabi Kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam, the best of mankind, the best of creation. This is the promise from Nabi, from Allah Taala, Subhanahu wa Taala. This is the promise. Did you miss it? Well, it's not too late. There's still a lot of Yomul Jum'ah ahead of us today. Alhamdulillah. So many, 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 many hours. Slightly less than the 84,600 seconds we have each day to worship our Creator. To remember Him. Alhamdulillah. 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 Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's so easy. It's so easy. And yet we fail. Hmm? We fail, we forget, we forget, we forget. Allah Ta'ala has made humankind forgetful. He has made humankind with a heart can, that can turn on a tiki. If you think that a rhinoceros can turn on a tiki, mm-hmm. you ain't seen a human being's heart turn from kufr to iman. Yeah, it can happen. It can happen the other way as well. Allah Ta'ala holds our, holds our heart between his thumb and forefinger and he Turn to just like it. Turn to just like it. May Allah Ta'ala keep our heart always turned towards Him, seeking His pleasure and remembering Him. Well, there's still many more hours, many more minutes, many more seconds of this blessed day ahead of you. Many more ways you can earn. You can earn. This is a great day for profit. Yeah, you want to talk business? We're talking business now. We're talking about some of the best business deals you're ever going to come across in your life. Yeah, Juma is one such business deal. And it is a proposal, it is a contractual offer from the most reliable, from the all-powerful, from the one who never forgets, from Allah Ta'ala. He has promised you, He has made this offer for contract. How, how can you forego acceptance you don't need to worry about uh, hidden fees you don't need to worry about misrepresentation you don't worry about non-performance you don't have to worry about trying to order um, specific performance it's all here for us Allah Ta'ala has promised us this is a day where you can make major profits Alhamdulillah this is the day where you can just a little bit of effort and you get a huge reward just think of it after Asr, Salah, tomorrow afternoon, you just spend some time saying, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad, Nabi wa salim taslima. And just for that, you'll get <coughs> a sawab equivalent to an entire year of worship. That means the angels grow, will grow tired writing forgiveness for you. The angels will grow tired writing good deeds for you. Non-stop for a whole year. You say it 80 times and you get the sawab of Laylatul Qadr. You know how Ramadan comes along and hey, those nights come along, the last 10 nights, and hey, we desperately seek in Laylatul Qadr because we just know, we just know. Ah, yeah. Huh? What is the official title of the Ummah of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? What is our official title? 
Hmm? What will Allah Ta'ala, what title will Allah Ta'ala give this, the best Ummah, of the best Prophet, of the best of creation? What title will Allah Ta'ala give us when we walk into Jannah? Hmm? Is there anybody out there who can tell me? What is our official title that Allah Ta'ala has given us? When we walk into Jannah, we will walk into a big hall. And there on the one wall it will say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the other wall it will say, what will it say? Welcome to the sinful ummah. Welcome to the sinful ummah. Yeah, not just like, you know, they, 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 there's some sinners among you. This entire ummah is sinful. So, you know, if you're a Muslim who thinks that you're free of all sin, you better start thinking again. Because no one is going to enter Jannah but by Allah Ta'ala's mercy. Uh, Nabi Karim, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in one hadith, spoke about uh, a very pious man in the time of Bani Israel. A Jewish man who uh, who was completely and absolutely absorbed in the remembrance of Allah, in the worship of Allah, giving thanks to Allah. And uh, so, so, so great was his dedication that he soon discovered that, you know, the, the, these human needs that Allah Ta'ala has given us, he creates us in a condition of need. These human needs were, 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 were becoming a painful distraction to him. You know, the need to go out and buy food, the need to go out and earn a living, the need to interact with other human beings <clears throat> was hurting his heart. And being one of Allah Ta'ala's beloved, he made a dua to Allah. Oh Allah, take away these distractions from me. Just give me the ability to just worship you non-stop, day in, day out. 84,600 seconds every single day. Not one second missed, oh Allah. I want, I want to remember and worship you all this time. So Allah Ta'ala deputed an angel. The angel took the pious man and put him on a deserted island in the middle of the ocean. And there on this island, there was a tree that gave him shade. There was a little stream flowing. This little stream was a bit like Zamzam water there that you get in Makkah. Uh, it not only slaked his thirst, but it also provided him with food and sustenance, so that he never, he no longer needed, he didn't even need to chew. You know, there was one Sahaba who used to, who used to uh, drink barley water. That was that was all. That was all he drank. Because he, he didn't even want to waste time chewing his food. So, 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 Allah kind of gave a same kind of circumstance. So, you know, you can also just drink barley water if you want to. Uh, he gave this special pious man <clears throat> a special stream. And so this pious man could just sit in the stream beneath the shade of the tree and he could worship Allah non-stop, non-stop. And so because he was worshipping Allah non-stop and was so glad and thankful to be in this position, Allah Ta'ala allowed him to worship non-stop for 500 years. For 500 years. And then after 500 years, Allah Ta'ala sent an angel to go and take the Jewish man's heart and take his life. The Jewish man finds himself before Allah Ta'ala for judgment. And Allah Ta'ala says, Ah, my beloved Binda, my beloved slave, welcome. By my mercy, you can enter Jannah. 
So um, the pious man is walking to, into, into Jannah. I don't know which angel was accompanying him. It may have been Jibrail alayhi salam, I'm not sure. But as he's walking into Jannah, suddenly he stops. And the angel is very surprised. This is like one place where people don't stop. You know, they're walking into Jannah. They're walking into heaven, into paradise. And suddenly the man stops. The angel surprised. You know, most people are just rushing to get in. And the, and the pious man says to the angel, But Allah Ta'ala said, By my mercy I can enter Jannah. But me, I've been in the dunya for 500 years, and for 500 years, non-stop, non-stop, I worshipped Allah Ta'ala. I thanked Him. I asked Him for forgiveness. Non-stop. 84,600 seconds every single day. Not one day missed. Can't we, can't we go back and, and ask Allah Ta'ala to allow me into Jannah by my good deeds? So the angel, oh, this is a very unusual request. You've been given entrance into Jannah, and now you want to go back and be judged. No one wants to be judged. But okay, we'll go back. So they go back, standing before Allah Ta'ala. The angel presents the man's case, and Allah Ta'ala says, fine. You wish to be judged? Bring the scales. Bring the scales. The scales are brought. Allah Ta'ala says, okay, in the one pan, put 500 years of accepted ibadah. 500 years of accepted ibadah is put into the pan. Then Allah Ta'ala tells the angels, bring the gift of sight. The angels bring the gift of sight and put it in the other pan. Boom, that pan just slams down and 500 years of good deeds are thrown away. 500 years of good deeds just by the blessing of sight. And so now, of course, now, you see, you see, this man, he's, 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 he, he can't say anything. This is the thing, you see. People say, you know, well, now, now, you know, unbelievers will say, but, but, astaghfirullah. Oh, so, oh, so you're going to be in, in, in heaven for eternity. But now, you know, surely, you know, after like 50 million trillion years, you must be sick of Jannah by now, huh? Oh, aren't you going to be tired? Oh, eventually you've done every single thing. You've met every single person there is to meet. You've had every single conversation there is to have. You've spoken every single word that there is to speak. Surely you're going to get tired of Jannah. Mm. You see, these people, they must understand our inferiority in comparison to Allah Ta'ala. Allah Ta'ala's greatness is so much greater than, than what we are that Allah Ta'ala will always have the ability to exceed anything of our expectations, of our understanding. Our understanding is like if you took a pin and you stared the ocean with it. You went up to the ocean and you said, yeah, now I'm going to use my knowledge. Yop! And you stab the first incoming wave. And you step back onto the beach and you hold the pin. And you let the water drip off it until like there's one last little drop of water hanging onto the pin. Then your knowledge in comparison to Allah Ta'ala's is like that little drop compared to the ocean. Allah Ta'ala will always be able to exceed our expectations. There is no ways we will ever, 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 ever grow tired of Allah Ta'ala or of Janatul Firdos, inshallah, if Allah Ta'ala blesses us with that. So yeah, the honest man, the, the, the pious man, Allah Ta'ala then said, well, there, my binder, now you, you may enter, he asked Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness and entered into Jannah. It says, even on the last, even on the day of Qiyamah, you can ask Allah Ta'ala for forgiveness. You know, you know, they all, you, you can actually do good deeds 
on on the day of Qiyamah. I know it's a strange thing, but you know there 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 are hadith speak about a man who um is going to be on the day of Qiyamah and he's only going to have one good deed, only one good deed. He's going to be standing there with you like his one good deed. And he's like looking there on his other side. And there's just like sins stretching beyond the horizon, darkening the sky. They're piling up so high. His sins are so dark and black. And he's going to be standing with this one, this one good deed. Then there's going to be another man. He's going to have good deeds and bad deeds. And they're going to be perfectly in balance. Like the good deeds are not outweighing the bad deeds. And he's going to be rushing around from everyone, all the all the prophets, uh, salam, all all of the holy men, uh, rahimullah, all 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 of the ummatis of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He's going to be running around begging, please, please, please. I just need one good deed. I just need one good deed. And then he's going to come to this man with just this one good deed, and this man is going to smile and he's going to say, "Yeah." My one, I have one good deed. My one good deed is not going to do me any good. I've been such an evil man. Yeah, you, you take my one good deed. The only man out of the entire human population that is going to populate the earth and die. Only one man. Oh, maybe it'll be a woman, I'm not sure, but I think it says a man. Only one person is going to be willing to give up one good deed. Out of the entire human population, only one person will be willing to give up his good deed. And he will give this man his one good deed. And for that, Allah Ta'ala will give that man, with all of those sins and now no good deeds, he will give him entrance into Jannah. Hmm. How about that? Hmm? Yeah, so you see, even on the day of Qiyamah, we can. We, we can. There, there, there are stories about the one man, uh, Allah Ta'ala, uh, says, yeah, off to, Jannah, off to Jahannam you go. Hey. And, and uh, he says, okay. And suddenly he turns around and he just starts running. The angels are like, whoa, you know, this isn't usually, usually we have to put them in chains and beat them with poles and all kinds of things to get these guys into Jahannam. And this man is running there. So the angel runs and catches him. Wait, 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 wait. Then Allah says, bring him back, bring him back. So the angel brings the man back which is like the opposite direction, which is the way they're usually going to go, brings the man back. And Allah Ta'ala says, tell me, my slave, usually people have to be dragged off to Jannah. But now you, you're, you're running off to Jannah. Now explain this. He says, oh Allah, I was always so slow to obey your commands in the dunya. And uh, I thought, maybe, maybe if I obey this one command of yours on this day, you will forgive me. And Allah says, you are forgiven. There's another man. Allah Ta'ala says, off to Jahannam you go. And uh, he, he starts walking to Jahannam. And as he's walking to Jahannam, he keeps on turning around and looking. Keeps on turning around and looking. Keeps on turning around and looking. And Allah Ta'ala calls the angels. They're taking him. Bring him back. They bring him back. Allah Ta'ala says, my banda. No? You're going off to Jahannam, but you keep on walking so slowly. Walking so slowly, you keep on looking back and keep on looking back, keep on looking back. Why are you looking back? And the man says, oh Allah, they said that, like, you know, your, your, your mercy far exceeds your wrath. Like it's only 2% anger and 98% forgiveness. 
I was hoping maybe, 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 even now, maybe you will forgive me. And Allah Ta'ala smiles and says, you are forgiven. So you see, well, in many ways, I suppose, our heart will be really expressing itself as it really is. It's not like we're going to be able to pretend to be something else on that day. So we can make dua that Allah Ta'ala, oh, yeah, Allah, have mercy on all of us on this day of Qiyamah. Because indeed, we are a sinful ummah. We are a sinful ummah. And so this is the day. This is the day where you can work up your rewards. <clears throat> you can work up your rewards. Really, it's a fantastic, this deen, this Islam. Allah Ta'ala has made us ummatis of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And what a blessing it is to be part of this ummah. Huh? You can get a whole lifetime's worth of sawab just for like uh, five minutes of ibadah on Jummah. This, this day is equal, equivalent to two Eids. What a wonderful day this is. And this day is the best day to do durood. So make durood in excess. You know, make it in excess. Allah Ta'ala has commanded us to make durood on the Bikrim in excess. So when Allah Ta'ala says excess, and Allah Ta'ala knows the number of everything in the universe, He doesn't just know the number of hairs on your head, He knows the number of hairs on every single person's head. He knows what every single foot of every single little ant that is walking this earth, below the surface of the earth, in the darkness where the sun doesn't shine. He knows what every single foot of every single little ant is doing. Which grain of sand it's stepping on, which grain of sand it's going to step on again. Hmm? Yeah. Al-Muqsin, uh, he knows, he knows these things. So when you speak about excess, you don't know nothing about excess. And when Allah Ta'ala, who does know the meaning of excess, says you must do something in excess, then, then, then you know you must do a lot of it, a lot. And the sawab is fantastic. As I say, best business deal you're going to come across, my friend. You want best price. You want best deal. You want special deal. Here it is for you. You are special in Allah's eyes. You are an ummati of Nabi Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Allah Ta'ala has made a contractual offer to you. If you accept it, yeah, <laughs> what success you're going to know. What a blessing this day of Juma is. Well, okay. That's a long introduction. A spiritual business. <laughs> Uh, lesson for the day Alhamdulillah uh, Allah Ta'ala it's, uh, What a blessing it is to be able to make a, a, a talk like that on air Speaking to so many people What a blessing it is Alhamdulillah I'm, uh, I'm not worthy of it um, But Alhamdulillah Allah Ta'ala well, Allah Ta'ala opens doors and closes doors Ya Rahman Here we are Yomul Jummah Yomul Jummah and uh, what is happening on uh, the JSE today? Well, today is a day of constitutional crisis in South Africa, as I said yesterday. Today will probably be a confirmation that we are truly in a constitutional crisis. State capture. Hmm. Reserve bank capture. That's what we have. Reserve bank capture and is being captured by the Grinch of Prosperity. Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump reckons the United States Fed needs, needs to lower its interest rates. So that Umlungunyama Lesetia Khaniago there at the upper upper floors of the Reserve Bank. 
He's been breathing too much pixie dust. That man. Hey, he loves Donald Trump, huh? Hmm? Hey, that man. He knows Donald Trump. That man, he loves Donald Trump. He loves Donald Trump more than he does his own country. He loves Donald Trump, in fact, even more than his own children. Hmm. Yeah. In fact, you can say that he loves Donald Trump more than he does his own self. He's willing to inflict the riba on the entire nation. I don't know if he knows that Nabi Karim sallallahu alaihi wasallam has said that the the merchants of riba they wage war against Allah Taala and His Rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Yeah, he said that waging war. You're waging war against your Creator. You're doing it. You say for for the good of the country. You're a liar. He's a liar. Today, Lesetia Khanyago, uh, fully according to form, as as we said yesterday, has uh, reduced our repo rate here in South Africa by 0.25 percent, 25 basis points. We now have a repo rate of 6.5 percent in our country, which is still high enough to attract the uh, carry trade from the United States. We're lazy, overfed, pampered, and thick as anything uh, consumers the most ignorant consumers in the entire world, the labor aristocracy of the globe, can take out loans at 0.25% or 2.25%, rather it's 0% in Europe. 2.25% uh, you take out a loan and uh, you bring it here so to South Africa and you get 6.5% for doing nothing, absolutely nothing. You took out a loan and then you repaid it back and you made 6.5% profit for doing nothing, which is that 6.5% is not to be sneezed at. We might kind of look at it here in South Africa, yeah, where we've got real organic growth because we've got real human needs here. We've still got a very strong extended family network here in this country. So our family units are far more elastic and, and capable of adaptation, unlike the United States where like, you know, 100 years of nuclear family culture has destroyed humanity. They have destroyed themselves. They're no longer aware even of who they own, who they are themselves. They can take out a loan at 2.25%, come to South Africa, where we now have to have an interest rate of 6.5%. We have to take on their interest rate obligations according to monetary policy or monetary theory. Yeah, this uh, modern monetary theory, as they call it. You can go speak to any banking economist. He will tell you, yes, uh, it's, a, it's an experiment. It's never been done before, and no one actually really understands how it works or why it should work. Why should the United States dollar not become devalued? Because they've gone and printed a whole lot of paper money and thrown it at their economy. Oh, no, they've only distributed among the millionaires and the billionaires. They haven't given it to the ordinary people in the economy who continue, you know, they're getting lots of jobs. You can flip burgers in the United States, well, unless you're a Mexican, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can, you can go and get a job in the United States to flip burgers. Uh, you know, there's lots of South Africans who want to go flip burgers in the United States trying to get their green cards and so on. Uh, and Donald Trump wants the U.S. Fed to reduce interest rates, which is completely counterintuitive, counter-theory. In fact, it's an antithesis of, of uh, economic theory. Uh, the United States has issued like $9 trillion worth of uh, quantitative easing funny money, uh, thrown it at the economy, and it needs to be monetized. It needs to be paid back. And the only way you can monetize is by raising interest rates. Now, when they're supposed to be raising interest rates, they're dropping interest rates. That's because they know. They've got Amalungu Nyama there in Africa. 
Hey, there at the top of the Reserve Bank building. So it's, a, it's like that uh, Lord of the Rings uh, Tower of Fear, you know, and the most scared man in South Africa. Is it Lesetia Khanyago? Oh, who is it? I reckon it's Lesetia Khanyago. He looks at the most uh, terrified white man in the world, and that's Donald Trump, you know, with a quavering red and a little heart behind his blood red tie. Yeah, there he looks. He looks across in the direction of Donald Trump and he bows down. You know, he prostrates himself before Donald Trump. He can't even see him. He's on the other side, beyond the curvature of the earth. Donald Trump is busy going to the toilet. And yeah, we will set to Conyago here in Pretoria. And he's bowing down to Donald Trump. You see, he's gone and he's keeping our repo rate aligned with the United States Fed's repo rate. Now, that is illegal. That shows that Lesetia Chaniago and the Reserve Bank is a captured governor and a captured Reserve Bank. It means our Reserve Bank is not fulfilling its constitutional mandate to be independent. And therefore, because Lesetia Chaniago is obeying his boss, yeah, he's obeying his boss. He's obeying his boss. I'm saying he's Umlungunyama, that man. He's obeying his boss. And he's reducing interest rates because the United States Fed, in a few days' time, is also going to be reducing its interest rate. Because, of course, the U.S. Fed is also not an independent reserve bank. If it was an independent reserve bank, it would have refused to do quantitative easing. It would have said, no, this is, uh, this is just it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> uh, so, of course, you see... Uh, under Western civilization, you cannot. They actually don't know what independence means. They don't know what democracy means. Look at the democracy that they've built in Iraq. Look at the democracy they've built in Libya. Look at the democracy they're building in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Khashoggi can tell you all about that. Yeah. So now our Reserve Bank has lowered its interest rate because the U.S. Fed is going to lower its interest rate. Just as our Reserve Bank increased the interest rate last year as we've fallen into recession, uh, which means it should have been cutting interest rates, but it raised its interest rate because the U.S. Fed was about to raise its interest rate. And sure enough, true to form, the U.S. Fed raised its interest rate in December after we had, cut our, after we had raised our interest rate in, no, in November. But we are just falling into recession. Now we're, we're like teetering on the edge of recession. So that means that if Lesetia Chaniago was being consistent, if a monetary policy committee meeting was being consistent, if it was truly independent, if it was working in the interest of the country, then it would have looked at it through the lens of inflation targeting. And inflation targeting logic says, now is the time to cut interest rates. No, but that's not the way he did it. If he did it in the same way he did it in November, now that we're teetering on the edge of another recession, now he's supposed to raise our interest rates again. Because he raised our interest rates after we fell into recession. So now we're teetering on the brink, brink of recession. So he should be raising interest rates if he was consistent. But of course he's not consistent. He's only consistent in being a slave to the United States Fed. And that is why we have cut our interest rate today. It underlines the undeniable fact that our Reserve Bank is captured, that our Reserve Bank is not independent, and in fact that our Reserve Bank is an enemy of the people. Mm. All right. Well, maybe... Hmm? Do you think I'm being a bit heavy? I'm not being a bit heavy. I'm not. I'm not being a bit heavy. The constitutional mandate of the Reserve Bank, the legal framework that it uses is inflation targeting. Now, our inflation rate is doing nothing. It's sitting like 4.5% um, and not really going anywhere. 
So why is he why why, why is he cutting interest rates? Uh, last year in November, inflation. Uh, yeah, you know, same kind of story. But he increased interest rates. Now he cuts interest rates, and the only consistent thread of logic that goes through all of this is that he is shadowing. No, he's foreshadowing the United States Fed. Our Reserve Bank has been captured, and it has been captured by Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, it has been captured by Donald Trump. And that is why we have lowered interest rates today. Well, you know, you can say it's good news and all of those kind of things in the property market. It could need a little bit of a boost and all of these kinds of things. And goodness gracious, you know, things are so expensive. It is really a major relief. It, it, it was quite pleasing to see some of the, the, the economic herd of economists that we have like uh, populating our, our banking industry at overfed tables in the canteens. That there were two of them who today said it should have been a 50-point basis cut. We should actually have reduced it to 6.25. I'm arguing that if we were really uh, following uh, inflation targeting as a policy, then we should be on 6% today. Because in November last year, when we went into recession, Lesetia Chaniago should have cut the interest rate. Instead, he raised it to 6.75%. What he should have done, he should have lowered it to 6.25%. And therefore, today as well, he should have cut it by another 0.25%, and that would have taken us to 6%. If, like, you know, Ariba was fine and all that kind of thing. But, of course, it just makes nonsense of the idea that you can humanely manage an economy, you can efficiently manage an economy with Ariba. Okay, uh, we're going to have to go for a quick commercial break. Inshallah, we'll be back in just a little while. A little word from the marketplace. We always need that. Hmm? I mean, this is a business show, good heavens. Inshallah, we'll be back in a bit. Don't go away. You are listening to the voice of Ahlu Sunnah Wal Jama'ah. alaikum. Welcome back. All right. More, more Lesetia whipping going on here. Let's just have a quick look at the, the all-share index today. It's on 57,872.53, rising 0.41% on the day. Uh, top 40 index on 51,733.36, up 0.33% on the day. Well, the RAND uh, was a little bit uh, hesitant at the beginning of the day. Uh, the interest rate cut, however, uh, seems to have pleased the market, the market following market expectations there. Um, I also said yes, there's going to be 0.25, and you didn't take brains to be able to see that. So you're going to look at what the U.S. Fed is doing. So anyway, the market is very happy. The rand is getting support, uh, 13.87 to the dollar, uh, gaining a percent against the dollar. Uh, funnily enough, only 0.66% up against the pound. The pound has been a bit of a back foot, what with a uh, hard Brexit coming up. Uh, you've got that... Uh, that, that that pudding racist, uh, what's his name, Boris Johnson, hmm? you know, with his kind of like Victorian uh, 1980s kind of uh, humor, hmm? uh, said to become the next prime minister. You know, uh, I must say just this. Uh, I don't like what Britain has been doing to the Ummah since 2001. Or even before that, for that matter, I mean, it was Winston Churchill at the Conference of Cairo in uh, 1925 who drew those lines that made uh, that made the so-called countries that have divided up the Muslim world. 
So, yeah, uh, England has got a very long hand in all of this. Of course, it was uh, England banking that bankrupted Egypt. Uh, and uh, there were quite a few English bankers that helped bank, uh, bankrupt the Ottoman Empire. Uh, so, anyway, yeah, England, you know, fighting the Korean Wars and all of these kinds of things. But anyway, uh, as, we, as we say, now you've got Boris Johnson there in England. And uh, he's, uh, he's going to go for a hard Brexit. And I'm glad. I think Boris Johnson and a hard Brexit will be very, 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 very bad for the United Kingdom. Yeah. United Kingdom is about to wake up to the fact that it is in actual fact just an, a little island in the middle of a freezing cold sea. Now, you know, I have an Irish blood in me. I'm half Irish, quarter Scottish and quarter Afrikaans. 100% Muslim and 100% African. But anyway. Uh, be that as it may, well, you know, the sides do can, uh, tend to get a little bit confused at times, you know. But uh, don't let that worry you. Yeah, so, uh, hard Brexit is going to be very bad for Britain. And Boris Johnson is also going to be very bad for Britain. So I'm hoping both of them happen this year. But anyway, uh, yeah, so anyway, today the, 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 um, the pound is sort of um, weakening a little bit slower than uh, the dollar and the euro. It would appear that uh, they are actually moving towards uh, weakening of their currencies in order to try and boost uh, exports. Uh, we've been trying to boost exports by weakening Iran for how many decades now? I think it's about three. It could be even be four decades. No, no, no. We've been on a serious back foot uh, for quite a while, basically since uh, 1998 when uh, Tito Mboweni took over the Reserve Bank. Okay. All right, uh, should I continue with this? No, 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 there is a lot to be said about the Reserve Bank. I mean, really, uh, I'm not joking. It really is a constitutional crisis. And the Reserve Bank is acting illegally. It is acting illegally. It is not fulfilling its official mandate, which is inflation targeting. It is not doing that. It is acting illegally. It has been captured by the United States Fed. And, uh, well, it's, a, it's just a pity that Ace Magashule is... Um, well, it, it would appear he's just a guy who's trying to like uh, pad his own pocket uh, because he really could come out with, uh, you know, you could go, you could take the Reserve Bank to court and, uh, and force it to implement uh, inflation targeting rather than being captured by the United States Fed. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not something new. It's not like Lesetia Chaniago. He's just following on in the footsteps, the, the rather heavy, deep-set footsteps of his predecessor, uh, which was Joe Marcus. Uh, who's following the heavy, deep-set footprints of her predecessor, which is Tito Mboweni. Now, while Jill Marcus was there, we had a bit of a, a bit of an easier time. But when Tito Mboweni was there, there was also very clear signs that our Reserve Bank is actually antipathic against our country. It hates our country, the South African Reserve Bank and Tito Mboweni, our so-called finance minister. You know, while Tito Mboweni was the governor of the Reserve Bank, he paid off apartheid's uh, death squad slush fund of $25 billion, using Templeton Asset Management as its primary uh, um, partner, uh, along with uh, the, all, the, all the big banks in the country. They got together with Templeton Asset Management uh, and put together a $20 billion fund in order to buy the dollars so that there, there, would be a, a, there would at least be a presence in the market that could match the sales of the Reserve Bank. Otherwise, uh, you know, we'd have been facing an Argentina or a Zimbabwe um, uh, outlook. So you could say the banks did us a favor by buying up these uh, these rands on dirt cheap. Uh, 
and forcing our rand uh, to run about 15 to the dollar at the time in 2003. And uh, yeah, and then suddenly we bounced back because then Tito Mawendi had paid off that deal. And uh, we recovered to somewhere around about five rand something to the dollar. Uh, but since then, um, you know, the ANC, uh, according to, uh, apparently in 1992, signed an agreement with the IMF that they would favor a weak rand policy. Now, you see, this whole weak rand policy is supposed to boost our exports. Now, it can give a temporary boost to exports, as I said yesterday, but it cannot do it indefinitely, ad infinitum. It is only meant to be a stopgap measure, an emergency measure. And the fact that the United States, Britain, and the EU seem to be moving into this, we will weaken our currency in order to boost exports. Well, you know, speaking from hard experience here in South Africa, uh, we used to be at five rand uh, to the dollar, and now we're well, we're fourteen something to the dollar. Well, actually, we were thirteen something to the dollar, but uh, you know, we're nearly three times weaker than where we were. Have our exports increased to the same amount? No, they haven't. They have increased profits for the big mining companies and the big banks, but no one else in this country. And uh, and uh, and these are the two sectors, um, you know, after Donald Trump, that let's say Chanyago, he goes and he gives his, um, you know, falls down on his knees in front of them as well and does his job. Yeah. Banks and the mining industry. Everyone else, they're the enemies. They're our enemies. And if you consider that uh, most of our mining uh, companies in South Africa are foreign-owned, that our banks are foreign-owned, then in actual fact, he is the slave of foreigners and he's the enemy to the people of this country, as is our Reserve Bank. Consider for a moment, right, for how many years uh, coming out of uh, the 1900s into the 2000s uh, did we hear that South Africa has to have a growth rate of above 6% if it is going to add jobs faster than it is adding school leavers to the economy. In other words, to claw back on unemployment, we had to have a growth rate above 6%. I see that's been now being argued it's around by 2% in order to do that. But, you know, who are you going to believe? I mean, these are banking economists are speaking. It's business day you're reading and saying all these kind of things. Uh, so it's a lot of nonsense. Okay, so say now we have a, a we need a growth rate of uh, 6%. In 2006, as we were approaching a growth rate of 6%, Tito Mboweni started ratcheting up interest rates every second month by 0.5%. Not this little 0.25% of Lesetia Chanyago's days. No, hey, it was a real heavyweight of Tito Mboweni. In fact, I'm, I'm, I'm actually got a suspicion that Tito Mboweni actually doesn't really exist. That there's actually a very skinny white man who's put on like, you know, one of those sumo wrestler suits that you can put on. Hmm? Yeah, no, while Tito Mboweni was a Reserve Bank governor, he used to insist that the photographers not take close-up photographs of him because he said that they were showing me sweating and I don't want pictures showing me sweating. But in actual fact, I actually suggest, I actually suspect that in fact there was a skinny white man there who was worrying that maybe if you see a close-up there, you're going to be able to see the stitching or the zips, you know, where you, where, where you pull that, um, the, the, the big black man suit on top of you. Uh, because you see, Tito Mboweni, uh, as we're approaching 6%, as we're approaching the growth level required to start cutting back on unemployment in South Africa, the Reserve Bank raised interest rates from 2006, uh, or was it 2007? Um, I don't know. 
2007 or maybe in 2007, 2008. But I think it was 2006, 2007. Uh, and he raised interest rates uh, around about short. I, I can't remember where it was. I think I think we we ended up uh, around about um, it was nearly ten percent. Our interest rates went up to under Tito Mboweni, zero point five percent every six every every two months. And of course, the economy immediately went into a tailspin. We we lost all of the growth, all of whatever momentum we may have had from the Mandela years from nineteen ninety four was completely destroyed by Tito Mboweni and the Reserve Bank. And we have never, ever, ever recovered. And now our Reserve Bank is continuing to sabotage our economy against its constitutional mandate and failing to implement its official policy of inflation targeting. So this is why I say that Lesetje Kanyago is public enemy number one in South Africa. This is why I say that we do not have an independent reserve bank in South Africa. This is why I say our reserve bank has been captured. It has been captured by the US Fed and Donald Trump. In fact, I'm thinking maybe it was Donald Trump in that suit, in that Tito Mboweni suit. Huh? That would kind of like make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, Donald Trump is also very vain. Uh, so, yeah. <clears throat> maybe that's why... Um, the real Tito Mboweni has to stay in Guyana the whole time cooking food for his mom. Um, because he has to keep up the weight, you see. Because when uh, the false Mboweni, when, when Donald Trump puts on his Mboweni suit, you know, you've got to keep it quite big because Donald Trump is also quite big. So, so, so Tito Mboweni has to keep himself plumped up uh, cooking food for his mom in Guyana uh, while, while pretending to be the finance minister in South Africa. No, truly, uh, it's, a, it's a captured government. We do have a captured government. But unfortunately, you see, within the ANC, you've got, you've got all the clever guys, you know, like they understand business and all of these kinds of things. They, they are, they are, they're captured. They've been captured. But uh, the opponents within the ANC are all the really doff guys, like Ace Magashule, uh, like um, Julius Malema. Not very clever, these guys. Not very bright. Very angry, yes. But unfortunately, you know, um, they're not able to contribute anything. They can only devour and eat. So this is the situation we have with ANC at the moment. The clever guys don't have the courage to stand up to their convictions. And the guys that are not all that clever uh, are demanding all kinds of actions all over the place. This is what is happening in the ANC at the moment. It is a captured ANC, and the ANC is unable to fix itself. And, of course, you know, you've got Julius Malema following with his political party, which, as I said many times on the show, is just the veil, the veil of the West. We have a veil that hides our modesty. They have a veil that hides the evil and corruption. And that's why you have a political party. That's why politicians are always betraying the people who vote for them. Because they have to serve their masters, the 1%, just as much as the chief executive of a corporation is serving the same people. So you have to do that. So the politicians also end up doing exactly the same thing. There's no reason why Julius Malema should be any different from uh, Donald Trump. They're the same people fulfilling the same kind of roles. You know, it's basically the same country club. They're in the same country club, Julius Malema and Donald Trump. They are both politicians with a political party, which is a legal fiction, which is um, an artificial 
personality. It is a veil that they use to hide the evil. Julius Malema will steal just as much as Jacob Zuma. He will steal just as much as uh, Cyril Ramaphosa. Yeah, it will, because they belong to the same country club. They belong to the same country club as Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. Same guys. Same guys. No difference. Nope. You can see just by the fact that Julius Malema heads up a political party. Well, they call it a political party, but there you go. Okay, so there, 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 there. I have laid out my case against the Reserve Bank. Uh, in fact, I wonder if you could lay criminal charges against Lesetia Chaniago. Maybe I, yeah, I'm thinking I should go and visit Zahir Umar. Yeah, see if we can cause some trouble again. Hey, we cause a lot of trouble for these guys. I see Nosa Viva Mapis and Kakula is now the Water Affairs Minister. No, she's the Defense Minister. Huh? She's now the Defense Minister. That means that she can fly the Muslims for rendition out of Article of Air Force Base without having to seek approval from anyone. She can do it all of herself now. That's probably why they've made a defense minister. So they can uh, smuggle Muslims out of the country for torture and murder. Mm. And she doesn't have to worry about getting authorization to use Vatican of Air Force Base for that. Mm. I wonder if she's calling in the Guptas. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's going down a very windy road, isn't it? Okay. So, uh, also, the Reserve Bank rate. Okay, so we've got a captured Reserve Bank. Um, uh, the JSC responded uh, in expectation rising. Uh, the RAND is risen as well. Good news overall on the JSC today. If you want to call it good news. Uh, we've got a captured uh, Reserve Bank, and our business sector is extremely happy about that. Uh, we have a captured Reserve Bank, and uh, the radical economic transformation sector of uh, our political landscape, be it sections of the ANC, be it Julius Malema, be it supporters of Jacob Zuma, actually don't understand economics. So they want to be radical, uh, but they don't know what they want to change. I keep on, you know. So, yeah, okay. So we are looking for trouble here in this country. I think I'm going to have to start my political party. Sheikh Zakaria, he reckons we need to start this political party. I'm thinking of calling it the Genesis Party, and its logo is the party to end all parties. Basically, we'll go to Parliament to get rid of Parliament, to replace government with uh, extended family. When you have an extended family, you don't need government to look after you. When you have an extended family economy, you build your own roads. You mow your own grass on the sides of the roads. You, you look after your own lights. Because you, you've got organizational units in your community that are able to do anything the biggest corporation in the world is able to do. But you've just replaced the corporative organizational unit with a family organizational unit. You work with people you know. Yeah, you, you get organic identity rather than this artificial contrived identity that people have in a nuclear family society. So everyone's very happy on the JSE today. And anyway, today, uh, I don't know if Ace Magashuli has been listening to my show or something, uh, but he decided today was a time to actually get, revisit this Reserve Bank mandate thing. And he's condemned the gatekeepers, who he says are censuring him and trying to prevent him from opening up debate about the Reserve Bank's mandate. Of course, if you go and you read the, uh, the, um, the uh, mainstream 
economists, business journalists' versions of Ace Magashuli and Reserve Bank Mandate. And you can read that none of them actually understand the Reserve Bank Mandate. Not only that, but none of them, even more importantly, understand Ace Magashuli's position, which is a position that I would say is representative of at least 40 to 50% of the people living in this country that the Reserve Bank mandate does need to be changed, that it is unconscionable that our Reserve Bank is owned by shareholders, the majority of whom are British-owned banks. Yeah, the majority of our banking sector in South Africa is owned by Britain. Uh, when our Reserve Bank deputy governors and senior staff go off for training, they go for training in Britain. Uh, so, you see, you could say it's been captured by Britain, but it isn't. You know, Britain was captured by the United States after the Suez Canal crisis in 1948 when, uh, 1958, when, uh, yeah, the foreign officers' uh, records, lock, stock, and uh, still smoking filing cabinet were taken across the Atlantic to Washington. That's when Washington uh, adopted the mantle of the Britain's empire. Of course, the uh, United States moved on to, uh, on to empire uh, with the Spanish-American War, when it took over a whole lot of um, uh, Spanish colonies around the world, including Manila and South America and so on. South America has never recovered. They thought they had bad under the Spanish. Boy, <laughs> continues to be bad under the United States today. So Ace Magashule. He's condemning the gatekeepers who censoring him, preventing him from questioning the structure of South Africa's economy and the Reserve Bank. If you, if you go and look at the comments, uh, you can see that uh, business journalists um, may have an acumen for, for understanding lies, you know, that are taught at university about things like there is an economy. I mean, I'm, I don't really believe that the economy exists. It's a bit like millennials not believing the future exists. I don't believe the economy exists. It doesn't. The thing that they call an economy is just a concoction of uh, agreed prejudices that have been written down in books. You get a whole lot of other people who come in and agree with these prejudices and they say it's a reality. Hmm? And then they start moving your life according to their reality. That's essentially what is happening. The economy doesn't exist. There isn't an economy. Uh, the economy is a conspiracy. A conspiracy of prejudice. Yeah, commonality in uh, prejudice. That's what we have, a conspiracy of commonality in prejudice. That is what the economy really is. The bank says, this is our tune and you must dance. That's where we are. So when uh, the so-called business journalists come out and start uh, you know, condemning Ace Magashule, you won't get one of them. They can actually understand what Ace Magashule is speaking about, primarily because Ace Magashule actually doesn't understand what he is speaking about. But you see, if you had independent journalists in the country, they would be able to go out and be able to work out what exactly Ace Magashule's complaints are. And it is a very legitimate complaint. And it is a very legitimate expectation of the majority of the people in this country who are still in poverty that they will be raised out of poverty. Unfortunately, the system is failing them, as it is designed to do. What they need is sunnah. What they need is Islam. When you go and you speak to them, they, they won't believe you. So um, this is why I emphasize so many times on the show, what we need is clan, family, organic identity, because that's what Islam is all about. And there's very strong clan ties in here in this country. If we can get our clans organized, much like uh, the, the, the Buffer King. Look at them. Own platinum mines, richest clan in Africa. All because they stood together as a clan in the early 1900s and took the money from uh, the young men returning from the mines and used that money to buy their land. 
clever, organized. Okay, you have an institutional family memory that crosses generations. You have you have a fifty year planning in an extended family business. Fifty year planning. Just consider that article I was reading yesterday. Oh no, we remember back in eighteen hundred we were too much in coffee and we were thinking we should get into soya beans. You know? They remember these things. You go and speak to um uh, a, a nuclear family guy and ask him, so tell me about your grandfather. He won't be able to tell you much about his grandfather, let alone his own father. Tell me about your father. His father will be a stranger to him because they're not accustomed to interacting as family, as a full extended family, getting the support and the strength in numbers when those numbers are people you know. You can't match it. You can't match it for sustainability, for competitiveness, for adaptability. Extended family businesses are the way to go. And that is the way the 1% goes. They show you the way. They show you the way, except, of course, they're a little bit stingy in terms of reproduction and so on. They don't like sharing their wealth that much, you know. There are too many family members, and you're not going to be able to live like a millionaire, live the life of Riley. Mm. So anyway, Magasuli was speaking in Johannesburg today. Uh, he claimed that the, uh, the ANC's highest decision-making body, the National Executive Conference, between conferences had agreed that the South African Reserve, Ban Reserve Bank's mandate should be expanded. Um, Tito Mawene has denied it. Ido uh, Gonongwana uh, has also said, the, the, he used to be like with uh, Nectu, hmm? said the governing party had never agreed to this. Um, Magashule had to eat his words. Uh, after President Ramaphosa reaffirmed the Central Reserve Bank, the Central Bank's mandate, uh, but today he took direct aim at the criticism. He says it honestly cannot be that when you ask the simple question of why the majority of the ownership of our Reserve Bank is in the hands of foreigners, that the rand gets manipulated by the capitalist oligarchy and their servants. And yes, indeed, it cannot be that when we ask a simple question of how many mines are in the hands of the majority of the people in our country, we are told that our statements must not bring uncertainty certainty to the rating agencies very 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 true you know that your 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 theory is founded on falsehood if it is so brittle that even just to suggest something elicits such cries of pain alarm and hatred you know you know ace magashuli is onto a good thing unfortunately it's a bad man onto a good thing well, I don't know if he's a bad man. Maybe he's just an uneducated man. Maybe he's not very clever, you know. But like, you know, I know a lot of people who are not very clever, but they have got the best hearts. They have got the best hearts. So I don't know. Hmm? I don't know. I've never met Ace Magashule. Um, uh, unfortunately, he's not talking up his, his book as he should uh, even Julius Malema isn't. But then again, you know, is there sincerity in what they say? Or is Ace Magashuli just like looking at a quantitative easing, $9 trillion? Hey, I could do a little bit of that myself. Is that what's really uh, driving this whole thing? Is this just the, the carpetbaggers, uh, the wreckers, the, um, the, uh, the liquidators uh, shadowing uh, the upper echelons of the ANC? Yeah. You must chow. Yeah, as Auntie Khaled says, uh, the little old lady who lives across the road, you must chow. <laughs> uh, Magashuli says, there are those who want the status quo to remain. 
It is unprecedented in the history of our movement to witness the countless efforts to undermine and whitewash the resolutions taken at the 54th National Conference of the ANC. So he's adamant that this is what the ANC has agreed to, and now it's gone back in its mandate. It's almost like it was, uh, well, you know, Jacob Zuma did the same thing to the IFP just before the 1994 elections and afterwards. I've said many times that the ANC, unfortunately, has developed into a cannibalistic uh, party. Uh, one president will suggest a nuclear deal. The next president comes in, he cancels, and then he suggests his own nuclear deal. Then the next president comes in, he cancels that, and now here yeah, we've got um, uh, our mines minister, energy minister, Greta Montashi, now suggesting we're going to return to another nuclear deal. Ah, boy. Okay, well, that's all we have time for for today. Jazakumla for joining us. I make dua that whatever trading activity you got up to today is profitable and above all halal. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.